He's like, okay, well, just say that he's 60. And then, and then <laughs> Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantee is implied. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Atkinson and Jeremy Scott. Georg Dreimann. Das ist ziemlich unser einziger Autor, der nichts Verdächtiges schreibt. Ich würde ihn überwachen lassen. Der OTS steht ab morgen früh auf dein Zeichen für die Verwandlung bereit. All right. Hello, everybody. This is Recotopia. Recotopia episode 26. The uh, big recommend today is the lives of others. How's everybody doing out there who's watching us in the chat today? Um, I, uh, Looks I'm lively. Good. Glad to see you guys coming out once again, coming out strong. Uh, I've heard quite a few of you uh, over the week through the various things, the discord and things like that, who really enjoyed the lives of others. So I can't wait to get into it. I don't even know if Jeremy likes this movie yet. Uh, find out, we'll find out. Um, but, uh, yeah. Uh, hello chat. Glad to see you here. How you doing, Jeremy? I'm doing well. How are you, buddy? I'm doing all right, man. Doing hey right. buddy. Yeah. Hey buddy. Do you have any small recommends? It's no big deal. <laughs> It's so small and light. It's small, it's tiny, it's petite, it's wee. Yeah, let's kick it off. Mm -hmm. I, uh, if you follow me on any of the socials, you already know that I'm going to recommend the movie Prey on Hulu, mm -hmm. uh, which is a prequel to the Predator movies. Yes. Um, and I have now seen this three times, mm -hmm. so it's fair to call me a homer, but I love this movie. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> there are one or two nits that I would pick <laughs> and probably a handful of sins I could write mm -hmm. if I wanted to. Sure. Um, this movie basically goes back to the year 1719 in the uh, upper Great Plains of North America, and we're following uh, mostly Comanche people. Mm -hmm. uh, Nauru is the main character, um, and she wants to be a warrior, while her society wants her to be a medicine person. She's good at both. Um, and simultaneously, we're cutting away to a spaceship that drops off the Predator. And one of my favorite things about this movie is the, the Predator's technology being 300 years older than what we saw in the Arnold movie. Mm-hmm. In the Arnold movie, he's got those three lasers and beams, and they shoot like some kind of a energy laser kind of a beam. Mm -hmm. And in this movie, they shoot metal rods. Mm -hmm. um, and the armor is kind of different. Uh, he only has thermal vision. He doesn't have like infrared and other kinds of like vision to switch to. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that was a really nice touch to show, you know, how how much that species had evolved you know, while we're showing, you know where our own species was back in this era. There's a one shot uh, where she takes on about eight guys in a campsite. Mm -hmm. 
using uh, fists and knees, but also a hatchet on the end of a rope. Um, and I was watching that scene the first time through, and I paused it, and I said, when was the last time they cut? Like, I'm so used to, we mostly pin it on Marvel, but I'm so used to hyper-cut action scenes, which are which is done to hide the lack of, you know, agility of the performer. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are pans in this scene. And so, uh, from what I have read, it's a lot like last night in Soho where when the camera goes full over this way, the stunt girl swaps out with the actress Ah. and as it pans back through Mm -hmm. the stunt girl is doing a stunt and it pans back over to the side. It's still an incredible one shot. And, uh, anyway, yeah, I don't want to spoil anything really. Um, there is a Comanche dub version on Hulu if you want to watch it in that language. Hmm. But it is a dub. Uh, their lips are still moving in English. Yeah, That did take me a few minutes to get used to the first time. But um, this is Dan Trachenberg mm-hmm. who made uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane yeah. um, and a, a largely unknown cast of authentic Native American people. Yeah, um, The fights, the battles, um, there's some Really clever stuff, I thought. Uh, but my very favorite thing about the movie is that the stuff in the, that seems inconsequential in the beginning, um, almost every single bit of it comes back around to have a more important meaning later on by the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I just really appreciated the care that went into uh, the structure of this film. So there you go. Yeah. It's on Hulu if you have Hulu. If not, I guess you got to wait or, or borrow somebody else's Hulu. Mm. Um, it's called Prey, and I love it. It's my favorite. Yeah, and this, uh, this Amber Midthunder is a super appealing uh, actor. I, I can't wait to see her in more stuff. She was in, apparently, she was in Hell, and Ho- Hell or High Water. She's one of the tellers in that movie. I think she's the one. Oh, wow. She's the one where... Uh, um, can't think of his name right now the, the one Chris they the one they knock off that the one he knocks off that uh that they don't they don't it's not part of the branch oh ben foster yeah yeah. Okay. yeah yeah i think she's that one she's in that one maybe she's the teller there but she's apparently teller not she's a uh she's from new mexico so i'm assuming that was like a local you know call <laughs> out back when she was in that but that's kind of interesting she was in that but uh yeah um but yeah prey is prey is uh, really good um i like how um it's not just the predator it's it's a ton of other animals in this that are are problems so it's it's not just her against the predator the whole time there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on so oh yeah oh yeah um but um um uh all right so i rewatched um the virgin suicides uh recently and um uh this is sophia coppola's i think it was her first movie i can't remember if she i I don't know if she had made something before this but um but uh uh the the biggest name in the movie is kirsten dunst and well the biggest young actor's name in that is kirsten dunst there's a lot of like the parents are played by james woods and kathleen turner and um there's a danny devito shows up uh as a psychologist in this um but um and josh hartnett uh uh i think was one of his it was i I think it was the first movie he did after h2o which was his first movie so he Mm. was still in the beginnings of his uh, career at the at this point but it is a really mysterious movie and in a lot of it a lot of it you wonder how much of this actually happened because 
uh, it's being told through the perspective of these boys who are across the street. Yeah. And and a lot of the things that they talk about, they're they're kind of unreliable narrators all the way through it. Um, yeah. So it makes you wonder how much of this stuff actually happened, how much of this was, you know, whatever. But uh, taking it at face value, it's about these uh, it's about these five sisters who live in a really oppressive religious. Well, you know, they don't. It's not over. You don't see it in the house. You don't see overt religious uh, pressure much but you do see it you see one room mm-hmm. where some girl's got a bunch of crosses in her room uh there's a point where kathleen turner the mom tells kirsten dunn she's got to burn all of her rock records there's all sorts of mm-hmm. uh things like that that are happening and there's a point where they tell the tell the girls they can't go to school anymore they have to be at the house the whole time um, and in the movie starts off, uh, you know, disturbingly enough that, you know, the girl from Forrest Gump who played young Jenny, uh, Hannah Hall, who's playing the youngest of the daughters attempts suicide. And they think it's just a call. The psychologist thinks it's just a call for help. It's nothing to be that serious about and all that. And, uh, before you know it, she is the first one to die in the movie. And, um, meanwhile, you see you see these girls and they just don't seem to care about what other people care about. But it's again, this is sort of what the, the guys are seeing from their perspective. They don't understand mm-hmm. girls. And then, and they are quick to say the girls understand us completely. They know what we're all about. <laughs> they, we just don't know what they're about. And there's a point where the, the a kid is at a locker and he's trying to say hi to one of the sisters. And she's like, she's like, she's like, Hey, and he's like, well, hey, my name is this. He's like, I know what your name is. You don't have to talk to me if you don't want to. And then walks off. And you think it's kind of standoffish, but like, you know, it's it. it who knows what that's all about, really, when it comes from these, these dudes' perspective throughout the whole thing. Uh, the movie is darkly comic. It's got a lot of funny moments in it. Uh, but you get the sense that there's, even though you're told right off the bat, this isn't going to end well you get the sense that there's some sort of hope in all of this. That's where I think that's where the crash comes into this movie. There's some sort of hope in this because you're like, you know, the, even though they don't look morose or anything throughout the whole movie, they just seem to be living in their own world. You can see that there's like a lot of boredom and there's a lot of oppression and there's a lot of things that they're having to deal with. And then when Kirsten Dunst finally gets to date in the movie, Mm. uh, you know, there's a, there's a point where you see that, oh, she could be just, you know, she could just be, um, coming out of her shell She or she's not really in a shell throughout the whole movie, but she looks like she's finally excited about life basically. And then Josh yeah. Hartnett does something to her that ruins everything. It, it spirals everything out of control. So like, um, this movie is really good. I, and, 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 uh, you know, uh, Sophia Coppola, this was, this is just like her wheelhouse back in the day to tell stories like these. Um, it does have dark subject matter. So if you are, uh, you know, if you have a trigger about that, then you will see a couple of things that are a little, a little, I mean, it doesn't go graphic, I don't think, but, um, but, uh, it, it does have that subject matter in it. Uh, but this is just a fascinating movie. I don't think people talk about it enough. And uh, it's uh, you get to see a lot of young actors like sort of like coming into their own. Kirsten Dunst had been around forever at this point. But 
you know, you see a lot of these, like Jonathan Tucker, who looks super like a baby in this movie and uh, things like that. But th- this movie's really, really good. The Virgin Suicides, uh, highly recommend. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's good mm. stuff. Mm. Good stuff. Mm. All right, I'm going to um, go with my second small recommend. I'm sticking with movies, both of them this year. Mm-hmm. This year. This week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to go with The Founder. Um, ah. This is uh, Michael Keaton playing Ray Kroc, mm-hmm. uh, known mostly as the founder of McDonald's. Uh, what this movie charts is how that came to be. And it does make him sympathetic in many ways, but the actual McDonald's was started by uh, <clears throat> two brothers whose last name is McDonald. Uh, and you have, uh, uh, fuck, Parks and Rec mustache guy, Nick. Oh, Nick uh, Offerman. Offerman. <clears throat> and uh, probably the Zodiac guy from Zodiac. Live, uh, John Carroll Lynch. Um, so they are... They own McDonald's, and Ray Kroc only stumbles upon them because they order um, a milkshake mixer that he sells, mm-hmm. and it's, it can make six milkshakes at one time, and they order, like, eight of them, and he's like, I got to see what this is all about, so he throws the mixers in his car and drives to this place and sees lines out the wazoo, stands in line and gets a hamburger, goes over to the bench and sits down. He's First of all, he's amazed. The kid gives him his hamburger, and he goes, oh, that's that's not mine. I just ordered 30 seconds ago. And he's like, eh, here it is. Here's your food. He goes over and eats it, says it's the best hamburger he's ever tasted in his life, and starts a friendship with these two guys because he tries to learn more and more about how they came up with what they call the speedy system. And this is basically the invention of fast food mm-hmm. where they have created um, their own pieces of equipment that specifically dole out the right amount of ketchup and mustard for each bun and they they took kids to this tennis court and chalked off a fake kitchen and practiced all the stations and walking them through. This is the, they, we have a burger crossing. And when you cross with the burgers, you yell, burger crossing, burger crossing. And it's all very charming and cute. Um, and Ray convinces them they had tried uh, three other locations to franchise and it hadn't worked out. They couldn't get those locations to do the right consistency of quality product. But he convinces them to franchise again to him and basically becomes a almost a parasite. I don't know what you would call an organism that that sucks all of the <laughs> lifeblood. And essentially, you know, through growth, he, he opens franchises without their permission, without telling them. He's just go, 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 go. And before you know it, he owns like hundreds of them and they own very few. And then they go to court and... He ends up winning, and by the time I'm a child, he's known as the father of McDonald's, and this movie really shines a light for me on how that came to be, and it's a true capitalism story. Um, But Michael Keaton is subtly awesome in this. The first time I saw this movie, I wasn't super impressed with it, Mm -hmm. and that was because I was expecting more of a powerhouse Mm -hmm. kind of drama acting. Yeah. And it's really a lot more of a charming. Have you seen this movie? I've never seen it, no. This is a little, a little more of a charming kind of a story than it is a drama. Um, but, yeah, I've seen it three or four times now, and Keaton is just really, really good and sympathetic in that he's just driven to be successful at something. Mm-hmm. And this is finally something he's successful at, and he loses sight of the fact that it's not really his. He he took it from somebody else. Anyway, great little drama uh, with plenty of little 
comedy, quirky moments in it, and uh, I recommend it. So there you go. The Founder. Yeah, I, I've, I've, I've got this. Uh, I should watch it at some point. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've heard it's, I've, I've heard the same thing though. I've heard, you know, people saying that eh, it was okay, and and then you know, somebody like you who's seen it. What you've seen it multiple times now, right? Yeah, three or four probably. Um, you know where you've grown to appreciate it. So, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get to, I'll get on that. Um, uh, the other movie that I saw, uh, uh, and yes, yeah, somebody asked if uh, Virgin Suicides was Criterion. Yes, it was. It was a 4K Criterion that I bought that that I watched. Wow. There you go. Uh, the uh, the the uh, a lot of the reason why I'm like immediately opening and watching these uh, is because I've gotten a bad run of discs that have been skipping. Uh, like, oh. like the devil in the blue dress one that I was talking about, that one was like skipping and stuff and I had to get a new one for that. And, uh, there was another one and there was even one, uh, uh, I watched the raging bull one that had, it had like, it looked like it had just tons of scratches on it and I popped it in, it played just fine. So I have no idea what's going on with that. But anyway, uh, virgin suicides was a, was a 4k criterion. I also watched on the criterion channel, um, the, the thin man. Uh, I had never seen this. Of course, there's a lot of uh, whatever man movies. You know, The Third Man, The Wrong Man, The Thin Man, Beyond the Thin Man, or whatever the hell. Um, But uh, uh, a really interesting structure of these movies back in the day. 1930s. This is a a comedy, essentially, uh, but with a a murder mystery at its heart. uh, it's about uh, a couple that uh, has been have been seeing each other for a while, and they come to see the father, who uh, is like some sort of I don't know metallurgist. He's some sort of like he works with metal or something like that. I don't know exactly what it is, but he runs his own shop. They go by to tell him, "Hey, we're gonna get married," and he's like, "Okay." When he goes up and he goes to his safe to get some some uh, some bonds out of there to it's like fifty thousand dollars worth of bonds, and there's they're missing. Um, and, uh, there's a, there's a, an accountant there who looks really shady while he's going through his safe and he's like, uh, do you know where these bonds are? Well, maybe you should ask blah, blah, blah. And it was a secretary. So he goes to the secretary and blah, blah, blah. There's all these millions of people who this guy interacts with. He tells people that he's going to go on this trip. Um, and then, uh, the girl that he went to go see about the bonds, she ends up dead. And so a lot of people think that it's the father, the guy who the, this guy did it and he's just away and nobody can find him. Uh, and so there's all these just millions of characters and millions of interested parties who show up in this, in this story at the very first we're introduced to our main detectives, but they don't really get involved until like an hour into the movie. It's really interesting how this goes. Uh, William Powell plays Nick Charles and his wife is played by Myrna Loy. Um, and, uh, and, Everybody involved in this mystery seems to know these detect know this detective guy, but they they don't you know they they keep coming to him for advice. But he's like, I, I'm just you know I just I'm not a detective anymore or whatever. I don't do this type of stuff anymore. And then suddenly he is thrust into the case uh, about an hour into it because somebody comes by his house and tries to tries to kill him or tries to question him or something like that. So he gets into it and. uh 
it's one of these movies where there's just a lot of like you know like really quick dialogue and like a lot of stuff like if you didn't pay attention you just missed something or there's a lot of that 1930s kind of expressions where you're like are they talking about sex there? I don't know. They, it sounds like they might be talking about sex, but they just kind of really go go by fast. There's a there's a lot like uh, the the uh, so you have the the woman who's going to get married. She's got this crazy brother who's like a pseudo intellectual guy. He's totally like just off his rocker throughout the whole movie. Um, uh, he's he's talking to the talking to these uh, newspaper men and saying, yeah, you should you should say that my dad was a sexagenarian. And he's like a sexagenarian. I don't know if that kind of thing will fly in the newspaper or whatever. And he's like he's like okay, we'll just say that he's sixty. So there's a there's a lot of like just like lines like that that just really just fly really quick past you. Those 1930s like trying to get past the censors type things you know uh uh is uh it's just an interesting thing but it's a lot of fun the thin man real fun movie so thin man mm-hmm. all right i have never seen that mm-hmm. i am intrigued yeah absolutely yeah and and uh slab says nick and nora are one of my favorite movie couples yes they are nick and nora in this in this movie um well, that's uh, funny. Uh, uh, they they have like this tremendous chemistry together, and Myrna Loy is hilarious. She's basic. She's playing kind of a drunk in this movie. Uh, there's a point where there's a. Uh, she sits down with somebody and and uh, she goes, "How many drinks are you? How how many drinks have you had tonight?" And he's like, "I had six martinis." And like the waiter comes by and goes, "He goes, bartender." And she's got already got a drink. Put five more down in a row right here. And then the, the scene cuts or something like that. So it's really good stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. Um. All right. So, uh, we ready for the big recommend? Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. I'm fine, I'm fine. It's just that you're so big. It's so huge. It's a good rule, but this is bigger than rules. It's bigger on the inside. Is it? I noticed. The Big Recommend. All right. Uh, 2006 German film that won the best foreign language film at the Oscars, and it won seven of the equivalent German Oscars back in 2006. Uh, The Lives of Others, um, Mm. which is set in the... uh, in 80s East Germany uh, before the wall came down in East Berlin. And uh, and uh, our main character, played by uh, Ulrich Muir, I think that's how you pronounce that name, uh, um, he is uh, part of the Stasi, the state security service in, uh, in Germany. 
uh, early on in the film, you see what he does. He's teaching a class of all these all these kids who are who are uh, wannabe Stasi members um, of how to interrogate someone. And if you are familiar also with like the uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that, uh, we did to, uh, uh, so-called terrorists down in Guantanamo Bay and things like that, you'll know, you'll immediately recognize that the techniques that he's using are absolutely nonsense and are monstrous. Um, he, he basically is playing a recording of this guy that he's trying to get to admit, uh, some information and um, he's depriving him, depriving him of sleep the whole time. And every time he asks him questions, the guy has the same story. I went over to this guy's house. We listened to some music. I went home. And then he, he claims that if someone tells the same story over and over, that they're lying. Uh, finally, you, he broke this guy to finally say something that obviously isn't true, but he just wanted to finally go to sleep for once. Uh, there's even a point where one of the students says, isn't that monstrous to, uh, to deprive him of sleep? And the guy goes over and puts a little X by that guy's desk. <laughs> That's how insane this is. Um, um, and, uh, and, uh, so he's like, he's like, no, you know, if they're, th these people are enemies of the state, they, they, they have to be questioned this way. Um, early on. So he is, uh, he, his, his, uh, his task in this movie is he's been sent by a real higher up to look after this playwright slash author guy who is pretty much on the level, uh, doesn't have anything really that stands out, but this higher up really wants him investigated for some reason. And we find out later it's because of a woman, um, he really wants him investigated. So they bug this dude's house and the, um, and, uh, and so it's, it's, uh, it's this guy's, uh, job to just sit there and listen to everything that is said all the way through it. Um, and that's even the private moments and the, uh, and, and, and make notes of it. And he's got a shift with some younger guy who comes in late at night and he has his own thing. Not much that guy's going to actually hear because he's just going to hear them sleeping for the most part and just whatever happens in the morning. Um, there, this guy starts listening to this these these this couple. It's him. It's the it's this writer who's who's Georg Draymond, and an actress uh, is playing a Krista Maria of uh, Zealand Zealand I think yeah Zealand. Um, they are together. They're a romantic couple. Uh, who are just, they're basically boring except for a few things. And this guy, Gerd, I think is his name, he starts really starting to like this guy. He starts enjoying the things about his life. There's a point where he's playing this beautiful piece of music and says something to the effect that, uh, you know, Lennon says, I can't get on with the revolution if I keep on listening to this, was it Beethoven or Mozart? I can't remember which one it is. Think it was Beethoven, um, and uh, and he's like, and and uh, Georg sits there and he goes, "Can anybody who's a bad man, can you consider anybody a bad man who listens to this music?" Meanwhile, we're seeing Gerd, who we think is kind of a bad guy because he's one of the st state security. He's got a tear streaming down his face because of this music. Mm. There's so many like double layer things in this movie where 
where you know there's a point where he runs into where Gerd runs into Krista Marie and says I'm your audience and she thinks he means actor but he's really th- talking about a person who's been watching her or listening to her this whole time in the movie uh there's all these little extra layers to things about what they uh, about what people say about people they don't know um in this um Eventually, though, something does happen where one of the uh, one of the playwrights that Georg knows has been blacklisted. He wrote something 10 years ago that basically made it where he couldn't work again. One of the biggest themes of the movie is uh, when someone can't do the thing that that makes them happy anymore. Um, And. That's something that and and they t- and how what relish the state security uh, puts in doing that too, where they can't ri- do the thing that they like anymore. This guy has been not writing for ten years. You can see that he's he's uh, depressed, and they uh, Georg even gives him a glimmer of hope, which is the wrong thing to do, that he might be able to write again. Eventually, this man ends his life, and the point of the 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 next second part of this movie is that he is that Georg wants to write an article about the uh suicide rate in East Germany which is being swept under the ru- under the rug um and um so he concocts this idea he has to kind of do a lot of things in secret um and um and he finds somebody who's willing to publish it in the Spiegel magazine and um and so there's a lot of stuff they have to do in secret and it's funny at this moment the person who's been listening to him the whole time who should be glad that he's finally found something on this guy is like has already like grown to really like this guy enough that he is now helping him in small ways he at first he's like okay i'm gonna let you have this i'm gonna have you let you have that but it's like if it goes a little bit too far, I'll finally have to bust you for this. But he does little things at the very beginning that 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 help him out, and at the same time, sort of creates another reality. Basically, it's sort of an alternate reality where if he doesn't, if he just stays off of it, then certain things don't get revealed uh, to Georg at all. Like for instance. His girlfriend is on every Thursday sleeping with this guy who has directed Georg's apartment to be bugged. Every Thursday he's doing this. And uh he would never know about it if it's not for the fact that Gerd at one point put touches two little wires together and causes the doorbell to ring. And Georg goes down to see what that's all about and sees her getting out of that guy's car. Uh, it sets all these different events in motion that would have never happened. And he's, he's basically sealing the fate of certain characters in this without knowing it. Uh, it, it's kind of a Heisenberg principle thing. I might be using that wrong in some way here because it's, it's an observer who's kind of messing with what the, uh, what the real, uh, what, what you would determine as real or whatever you've, you've, you've messed up, you've messed this up. You've, you've changed it. Um, so there are a lot of layers to this whole thing. The, the, you know, the, they, there is a discussion that Georg might be, uh, bugged, but 
they have to they go through this whole thing like well let's see if let's do an experiment to see if you are and because he they discuss this like smuggling somebody through underneath a a seat in the in a car uh and uh and everything the gerd thinks that he's got a he's gonna oh okay well this is it i've gotta have to tell the security officers to look at this guy's car and then he just decides not to at the last minute and so then they think that the the room isn't being bugged and then they start talking openly about what they're really writing they talk about they're writing about a, they're going to write a play about the 50th anniversary of the german democratic republic but they're really writing this suicide article the whole time um i don't know how much farther i want to go here but uh um obviously i think this movie is just tremendous uh in all respects and every time you and, and like and it could have ended at a certain point and you would have been fine but it has just that one little extra dash of of greatness at the very end of this movie uh that uh that just really uh, it's one of those cry moments for me in movies um but uh uh, but yeah, I, uh, I don't want to go, I don't, I don't know. We, we spoil these things. I think people know we're talking about the movie. So, uh, I will let you talk now. Tell me what you think about this movie. We'll go into some other scenes. I loved it. I think it's going to require a few more viewings, um, for me to really soak in all the layers and parallels. Um, but what, it's fascinating is how well it works just on the surface, even if you're not looking for that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think it's fascinating that he ultimately pushes the domino over um, uh, while trying to be nice. And ultimately, it still was the right thing to do. Um, <clears throat> that ending, to me, tells me <laughs> it was the right thing to do for him to protect that guy by not but because he ends up writing all his reports to say oh they talked more about their Lenin play they mm -hmm. talked more about their lemon Lenin play and he he never reports the crimes he's overhearing to the higher-ups even while his friend slash immediate boss is openly suggesting he's hiding things mm -hmm. he even says I love that scene when they're in the office and he goes something feels off right now mm -hmm you're keeping something back from me. And it's just, it's scary how good these guys must have been at their jobs mm -hmm. to be able to pick up on that kind of a thing. Oh, yeah. Um, but then he lets it go. He's like, all right, well, go ahead, go on. I'm, I know you're not telling me the whole thing now. Well, this is um, a guy who's had an impeccable record to this point, and I think that's what ends up selling him on it, even though in his training and his mind, he realizes something's off. The entire time. Yeah. Well, because he's asking, uh, I want to scale down the, the investigation and, and get this get rid of this other guy helping me. Because mm -hmm. the other guy overhears part of the discussion of the suicide article. Mm -hmm. And essentially, you know, the main character shuts him down and says, "That's what, what you hear here doesn't leave this room. Uh, I don't want to hear you talking about it again. Mm -hmm. But he's in the office saying, I want it to just be me. I just, I want to be the only one. That's suspicious. Uh, yeah. And the other guy picks up on it. Um, there's so many. The movie does a really good job of making you uneasy. Uh, like the lunchroom scene where the young kid comes in telling a joke about 
one of the Stasi head honchos and then sees the two Stasi guys there and stops. And so the guy's like, no, tell your joke. Let's go. Mm-hmm. I probably heard it before anyway. So the kid tells the joke and, they, and the guy goes, name, yeah. rank, <laughs> department. Yeah. And you're like, you've gone from a high back to a low. And then after a couple of seconds, he just breaks out laughing and you're laughing again. And it just, the movie keeps you on your toes in a good way because mm-hmm. not necessarily everything you see is as it appears. Um, and then in one of the, even, the great touches of that scene too is, you know, towards the end where they're telling uh, Gerd that he's going to be steam opening envelopes uh, for the rest of his life or whatever. Uh, he, uh, he's, he, they show him doing that. And behind him is that guy who told the joke. (laughs) Well, and that guy who told the joke says in the lunchroom, I'm with the department M. And then we find out later department M is the steam opening Mm -hmm. envelope. He has not made any progress in his career. No, (laughs) He's been doing that for years. No. Um, yeah, I called the main character Stannis the whole time because he looked like the guy who plays Stannis. Oh, he does. He does. Um, and for a few minutes, I wondered if it was the same guy actually, but, um, I thought he gave the best performance because his performance has to be the most reserved. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, we get that single tier, we get that very last scene in the movie, but otherwise he on the surface is, is very robotic and the emotions he's experiencing that we feel vicariously for him are all being done with like his eyes mm-hmm. and with really subtle twitches of his mouth mm-hmm. or his eyebrows. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the guy playing the writer, who's also great, all the actors are great in this, uh, but he has, he's free to emote however he wants to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I just, uh, I want I can't wait to watch it again and break it down some more. I mm-hmm. feel like I'm going to learn something new every time and see some new parallel. But yeah, the ending was a gut punch in a good way for me. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't want to say anything about it except that I, I loved it. Yeah. The, the ending. That last scene was awesome. Yeah. Um I, I just I, I think there's just so many different things that are going on from the fact that, you know, you know, people who don't know they're being observed say things about the character that is observing them without realizing it. Uh, you know, there are, uh, you know, just other little, uh, thrown, uh, there's other dynamics going on there where, you know, like, um, I, I just think it's, I think it's fun that all these different choices that are made all the way through, uh, affects the story right in front of him all the way through. And he's just doing minor things, but they, it, it, it changes a lot. Um, uh, that, you know, that the you know the whole the whole thing with him with Georg looking at his file at the end that's that's based in a real thing you know that's what they um after the wall came down they were they allowed people who had been um who had been uh, uh surveilled to surveilled? look at their you know, yeah. to look at their to look at their files and uh and uh, and and all that and it's an interesting thing for him watching him read those things and realizing slowly that he he had been uh, protected this whole time. Um, yeah. the, uh, uh, the, the, you know, the, the Ulrich, Ulrich Muir actually lived in East Germany during this time. And he was, uh, a part of one of the, he, uh, he was, uh, he was his, his, uh, life. It was under surveillance. Uh, he was an actor, 
uh, back in the day, he had people who informed on him. He didn't get into any real trouble, he says, um, you know, especially compared to what a lot of other people had to go through in this, um, especially compared to the first guy we see in this who has to put his hands underneath his legs and he has to has no sleep and all that. Um, he, he but the actor himself has been through this type of thing and that's a that's a crazy thing to think about i mean it's, we're we're talking about a movie that's only 15 years after uh the berlin wall came down so you're it, this isn't not this is not a lot of time here um uh, uh that is that has passed they've made a couple of other movies about this but they were comedies like goodbye lennon was one and there's another one called um uh, was it Sun Sun Valley or something like that? Sun Valley or something like that. But, um, but uh, this was the first time any anybody took this this kind of thing seriously. But, um, uh, just a just an, just a uh, you know just a fascinating look into uh, surveillance and how it changes people and and uh, and you know just uh, some uh, some really evil stuff and you you find you find your humanity in that evil somehow like somebody the hardest guy to to crack uh is uh has has uh you know has turned a new leaf by the end of it really fascinating uh stuff here at the end so i think one of the creepiest things in the movie is when he goes over after the interrogation and takes this little piece of cloth off the chair mm -hmm. and then he explains while he's putting it in an airtight jar this is for the dogs later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like basically, we, now we have this guy's sweat smell from that interrogation, and we're not going to let that go to waste. We're going to keep it in a jar in case he ever gets loose, and we'll send the dogs after mm -hmm. him. And I was just like, holy fucking shit. Yeah. Like, there's so many levels of evil and scary to this whole thing. Yeah, and, the, and I don't know if it's mentioned in the movie, but the Stasi is, is, I mean, they're based on the the you know the happenings of world war ii you know uh, uh the soviet union controls east berlin or or, or at least uh they they made that a sort of a, a communist socialist uh half of east berlin west berlin was was the allied side and everything but the east side was was uh this communist socialist side and they the stasi was working with the kgb and uh and they had they had their own they had their own offices in the Soviet Union and everything and it was just like you know that just goes all the way back it goes all it gets connected all the way back to there so uh yeah. it's just uh I you know I just I don't it's the I don't know what you ultimately you know you ultimately gain just a whole bunch of power over your people that you just don't you know you never deserved you never you never um you never were voted for. Nobody actually wanted you or anything. And you're just, you know, just, yeah, it's just, you know, what, what can you say? It's just pure, pure evil. This whole thing. So, yeah. yeah. Um, absolutely. Uh, anyway, um, what have you come up with for your oh, double yeah. feature? Be very, very quiet. Secret. What secret? Our dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. <laughs> This was not easy because I feel like there were three lanes here. Um, Germany, <clears throat> in which case I would look at things like Schindler's List or um, that uh, Lennon movie you mentioned a second ago that was a comedy. Mm -hmm. I, like when I was looking around. Mm -hmm. uh, or I could go with surveillance. 
uh, where somebody's life is altered by surveilling somebody else. Uh, or I could go with uh, political intrigue and spy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so if I was going to go political intrigue and spy stuff, it would be No Way Out with Kevin oh, Costner, wow. Gene Hackman, and Will Patton. Okay. Um, which is a fantastic film, would make a great double feature here. Uh, this movie came out in 87, um, so practically in the era that Lives of Others is talking about, mm-hmm. was set in. Um, but I decided I didn't want to do political intrigue and spy stuff. Mm-hmm. I wanted to stick with sort of the surveillance, because this movie's called The Lives of Others. So this, the title of the movie is, is saying the point of this is him watching them and how it changed him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the conversation would be an easy one to choose here, but that has come up so often on this podcast, I'm afraid to choose it. Uh, Zero Dark Thirty uh, was one that I flirted with for mm-hmm. a good while. Um, but what I'm going to end up with is not political or spy or Germany at all, and it's one-hour photo. Oh, um, <laughs> well, that's interesting. This is Robin Williams uh, as a photo processing clerk at a Walmart-type store who becomes obsessed with one particular family um, to the point where he starts to have fantasies of being in their life, uh, going into their house and having a beer with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it takes a darker turn for sure than, than the lives of others. He's not changed for the better by surveilling these people. And But the scene that sold me on this being the double feature is in the lives of others when he goes down and stands inside their apartment. Mm-hmm. And we find out later he t- took a book while he was there. But he wants to, what's it like to be them? What's it like to be in this place? And that sensation, that feeling is all over one hour photo. Um, it's worth it just for Robin Williams' uh, performance alone. Uh, he, towards the end of his career, he was much more open to playing these creepy bastards and evil people. Mm-hmm. And it brought out a whole other layer uh, of, of performance from him. Um, you see, like, like in Insomnia. I think they came out the like same Hunt. year, too. Like, the Insomnia yeah. and One Hour Photo, yeah. Um, so, anyway, um, One Hour Photo, if you haven't seen it, uh, let me see if there is a place where you can watch it, um, because that would be helpful. And it looks like you will have to rent it. <laughs> I'm great at giving suggestions. Hey, um, you know what? It's worth it. It's not It's not our fault that we come up with a movie and it just ha- doesn't have a streaming option. I mean, it's, you know, it's the way it goes sometimes. All right. So now it's time for next week's homework. Mm-hmm. And I am going with a movie that made just under $4 million at the box office. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steven Soderbergh's The Limey. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, You've seen this, right? I've seen it a couple times, yeah. Okay, thought so. Mm-hmm. This is um, Terrence Stamp. Uh, the framework of this story you've seen in other stories. It's a father whose daughter has been murdered, uh, and he is working his way through the crime syndicate to the higher-ups to get his revenge. Uh, but this is not like any of those movies you've seen. Um, this is back. This is right around the same time that Soderbergh was making... Um, My favorite movie. Oh, Out of Sight? <laughs> out of Sight. Uh, so there's some very interesting camera work and music choices. Terrence Stamp is foul-mouthed as hell. He's awesome. Pissed off and angry. Um, and there's one amazing scene in particular mm-hmm. uh, with a stationary camera uh, that I really, really love. But this is a straight-up R-rated, action-y, angry dad beat-em-up <laughs> movie. <laughs> 
uh, before something like Taken uh, made that a common genre. Um, and you can watch this movie for free on Tubi with, I assume, commercials. It's on Vudu for free. It's on Plex for free. Uh, it's on Pluto TV for free. Or you can rent it at any of the usual rental places. Mm-hmm. Next week, we will be discussing The Limey. It's a breezy one-hour, 29-minute Um I just think I just think it's awesome, and I can't wait to. I haven't seen it in probably ten years, so I yeah, can't wait to go back to it. No, yeah, this is this is great. I I saw it maybe last time I saw it was maybe five years ago, something like that. Uh, uh, but yeah, it'll be it'll be good to get back on this one. I I really enjoy this. This is one. Of, yeah, this is definitely one of those kind of forgotten to time Steven Soderbergh movies. Even though you run into people who are fans of it, um, you don't you don't hear about it. Uh, that often so good stuff <laughs> i will the tom over here says i legit love the way both guys use the well i almost picked this in order to have multiple answers for the secret well that's feature. very true they, he, <laughs> yes it is welcome welcome <laughs> to how sins videos get created sometimes with those also <laughs> sins uh yeah. so so yeah we do we do uh, indeed do that um uh, but all right, uh, yeah. you want to dive into a couple of questions? Yeah, do a few questions. Questions. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. Uh, all right, start with this one. What are your biggest what ifs of cinema? For example, what if Will Smith had taken the role of Neo in The Matrix instead of making Wild Wild West? Uh, the biggest one has got to be Tom Selleck being uh, Indiana Jones in Raiders of the Lost Ark, which you can't. Yeah you can't really imagine i mean if you if you were a huge magnum pi fan maybe maybe you can you can think of tom Selleck in that role i just i don't i can't think of it um i can't imagine him in that role but but imagine where he would what his career would have been like had he done raiders of the lost art after he did did Magnum PI, he had like a decent movie career. Like Three Men and a Baby was his biggest movie, I think, and it wasn't yeah, really because so. of him. Uh, no, he did a lot of stuff like Quigley Down Under and Her Alibi and all those movies. Like Mr. Baseball, Mr. Baseball, yeah. What was, <laughs> was you know what did, what would would Tom Selleck have like this? incredible like harrison ford already had made it right because he was in star wars and all that yeah uh and he he would have had probably a similar career to what he's already had without indiana jones but geez what a what a strange what if that is yeah yeah i uh i my biggest one is always chris farley and the cable guy and Mm, that was before ben stiller became attached to that movie um, and once Stiller got attached, he changed the tone to be darker, and that's where Jim Carrey became the perfect match. But mm-hmm. you imagine that movie with a different director, no dark tone, and Chris Farley as the annoying cable guy who wants to be your friend. It's a completely different movie. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it might even have worked on its own level. Yeah. But the cable guy we got is the one that I'm glad we got. Mm-hmm. That was great. Yeah. I see some people saying some stuff over here in the uh yeah tom cruise was iron man yeah i i I remember uh hearing about that uh that would have been in (laughs) i don't know if tom cruise would have been able to last i don't know he's he's done mission impossible multiple times and he's you know he i i just i back then though when he did iron man would he have been down for the three movies and the avengers and all that uh would he have done all that 
don't know. I mean, I I think we would have had a change in Iron Man, like, quick, probably. Did you see yesterday the news on Deadline was that he and um, the director of those movies, Christopher McQuarrie, have, like, three projects on track that aren't Mission Impossible movies? Mm -hmm. One is a, a unrelated action movie. One is a song and dance musical. Okay. Um, and one is a Les Grossman. Okay. From Tropic Thunder yeah. thing. So I don't know. Um, they also said over here in the chat, Eric Stoltz in Back to the oh, Future. Oh, for sure. And if you've seen the footage of Eric Stoltz in Back to the Future, yep, that would have been uh, maybe not a hit. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think that was probably a decent change. That was not necessarily Stoltz's wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But look at what look at what Eric Stoltz has gone on to do in his career for the most part, playing you know, Rye, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he plays Eric Stoltz. He just so. never was. I don't know. I don't think he's ever been like a big box office, like you know, anchor a movie kind of guy. Though he's always been that supporting actor. I think. <laughs> Um, all right, let's move on. Um, <clears throat> what is your favorite fourth wall break? Mm. Okay. Mm. Um, there, there's a moment in uh, Hot Shots Part Du where uh, they're having this big, huge Rambo battle or whatever, and in the middle of it, Miguel Ferrer comes out of the bushes and goes, War, it's fantastic. And then just, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> and that's my favorite one. <laughs> I uh I love that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um I like the ones in Jay and Silent Bob um Strike Back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin Smith has always done those fourth wall breaks. Yeah. Uh, but I saw on Twitter a couple days ago Eddie Murphy doing one from Trading Places and I went and watched the scene where the old white guys are spelling out bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. Mm-hmm. And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's great. Sort of, a, um, sort of a trademark thing for him to do back in the those those uh, uh, those uh, John John Landis movies he did. He did it in Coming to America as well. Mm. Uh, Fleabag, JC says. Yeah, great fourth wall book. Absolutely, absolutely. There's uh, yeah, there's everything from Wayne's World. Yeah, Wayne's World has some some good ones. I like the one too where he's like. Uh, He's like uh, he's broken up with Cassandra and and Garth has left him and all that and he starts yelling and then the camera starts running away from him. He's like, hey hey come back come back. <laughs> um. Oh man. Um. All right. Let's go. Let's do another. Mm-hmm. Um. Best performance in a bad movie. Worst performance in a good movie. Okay. I, so. I got the feeling we could take either one. I answered both. Yeah, I did both. Um. Tim Curry is a great performance in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. In fact, I don't know if that movie has the cult status it has without him at least giving you something that's worthwhile in that movie. Um, I nearly, I don't, I'm not a big Boondock Saints person. Um, uh, It's got a 7.7 on the IMDb, so it's apparently got that Sin City vibe to it. I was going to say Willem Dafoe in that movie, but since everybody apparently likes the fucking Boondock Saints, I decided to go against <laughs> that as a bad movie, even though I think it is. I think the sequel is even worse. Although the first oh, the one, terrible. the first one, to be, to be fair, uh, got cut up by Harvey Weinstein uh, quite a bit, uh, basically out of spite uh, to the writer-director who made it. So 
who knows maybe there's a great movie there or maybe i'm just missing something i don't know anyway um we need to rip on Sin City every episode. And we do and do. Uh, the uh, uh, bad performance in a good movie. I don't blame her. I blame Kubrick. But Shelley Duvall in The Shining, I don't think is very mm. good at all. Um, mm. uh, there's moments where I think she's fine, but especially when she has to act scared in this movie, I'm I'm not. I'm. I don't really. I don't think it's good, really, at all. And it takes me out of it every time I see her like acting scared about anything. Uh, but considering what Kubrick put her through all the way through that production, I, I, I can't blame Shelley Duvall for not really doing the best there. So, yeah. uh, but yeah. it's not, it's not, it's, that's a bad performance in a good movie to me. I, uh, I watched the eyes of Tammy Faye, mm-hmm. um, which I did not enjoy as a film, mm-hmm. but, um, Jessica Chastain, I thought, was really good in that movie. Mm-hmm. And I think she was nominated for some awards, and I think that was deserving. Yeah. But I didn't. I mean, Andrew Garfield's good in that movie, um, but nobody in that movie is doing anything close to what she's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then <laughs> this is probably going to get more held in the Sin City hate. But, mm-hmm. uh, Harvey Keitel is probably the worst thing about Pulp Fiction, if you ask me. <laughs> I don't like okay. his line deliveries. Okay, I'm, I I respect your opinion, <laughs> although I hate it. Um, but isn't Quentin Tarantino in that very scene? Okay, okay. Well, okay, yes. Tarantino is worse than Kaitel. I shouldn't phrase it the way saying he's the worst thing about. Okay, it. all right. All but right. he's the only, he's the worst professional actor about Pulp Fiction. Hmm. Tarantino is just a bad actor. Okay. Uh, Kaitel should know better. Okay. I feel like and maybe part of it is because he probably didn't have to shoot for very many days for that movie because uh, he's only in that one. He's only in three scenes. The scene where he gets the call, the scene at the house, and then the scene at the wrecking yard. Mm-hmm. And so he probably only had to work a few days. So maybe he was just not. Yeah, but I, it, I think it feels he some of his some lines of those feels m- like he. Most forgets m- what he's saying. Some of the most memorable things are said in that in that scene. I don't know. I don't know. This is a surprise. <laughs> this knocked me on my ass when I saw you wrote this. I was like, "What? Huh? I don't like his performance huh? in that movie? Don't, let's not start sucking each other's dicks just yet." Yeah. <laughs> uh. I'm sorry. And like, there's uh, the point where like the, they talk about they going on and on about that how good that coffee is and everything, and then later when he gets the cup and drinks it, he has to turn around and he's like, "Hmm." <laughs> I just think it's great. I don't know. Winston Wolf, great. No, I mean, uh, this is the I'm the guy who tweeted like a year ago, every time I watch Pulp Fiction, I like it less. Mm. So maybe that's I just can where understand my not liking the movie as much uh, as you did back in the day. I don't know about the Kaitel thing, but hey, to each his own, right? You can be wrong and be fine with it. It's not a big deal. Uh, the chat agrees with you. No, I mean, most people are going to agree with me. I just, I, I'm not worried about you know you know you know if it's it's just it's interesting to me i i did not expect this uh well i i still like the movie i like kaitel's career i like kaitel Mm -hmm. it's just in this particular movie it doesn't feel like he's acting Mm -hmm. it feels like he's trying to remember his lines Mm. um so sorry Mm -hmm. maybe we should end let's do let's end on a better note okay that's (laughs) that's no good uh Who's your favorite 
repeat creative combo. You can do composer, director, actor, director, writer, director, etc. People that work together a lot. It's it's kind of hard to uh, ignore the work that Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro did together for so long. Mean mm. Streets, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Goodfellas, Casino. These movies uh, and and De Niro are are unbelievable, and of course the uh, the King of Comedy as well. Um, the uh, yeah, De Niro was. I don't know if it was. I don't know if it was because he felt pushed by Scorsese or what. Did some of his most probably dangerous to his own personal life work that he's ever done uh with uh scorsese especially like raging bull where he's like you know he's like gains all those pounds and he's like you know uh and uh and he just gets into these places where you know i i I, it's no wonder that de niro the de niro we saw later on started just to kind of like you know all right i'm just here to have fun now i'm not i don't want to i don't want to do any of these dark down in the dirt roles anymore you can see how it might affect somebody to do that over and over again but oh yeah but those movies uh just uh you know those are that's uh that's their best work i mean de niro uh, i mean scorsese has obviously done a lot of great things with dicaprio later on uh, I don't know if DiCaprio has done anything to the level of what De Niro did back in those days, though. So, anyway. Yeah. No, I like that answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I like um, seeing Michael Caine show up in Christopher Nolan movies. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Even in, like, Inception or Tenet, where he's really only in, like, one or two scenes. Yep. Um, I just have the feeling they have, like, I like to pretend they have, like, a grandfather, grandson, father-son protege and mentor kind of relationship he's in all three of the batman movies Mm -hmm. he's in the prestige he's in inception he's in tenet um so uh that's one of my answers my other answer is uh jj abrams and michael giacchino this goes back yeah to even alias and lost um but the star trek movies um i just uh i just like michael giacchino yeah he'd probably work with jj more than anybody but Mm -hmm. always looking for an answer to um, in the uh, chat, we have Johnny Depp and Tim Burton. I think Johnny Depp definitely did his best work for the most part with Tim Burton, or at least the most interesting and varied work. He did a lot of he did yeah. a lot of good stuff in the '90s. Uh, Donnie Brasco, which was not Tim Burton, but like most of the Tim Burton, like Ed Wood, is probably one of his best performances ever. And also Danny Elfman, obviously Danny Elfman's music along with Tim Burton. Uh, George Lucas and John Williams and Spielberg and John Williams. Yeah, John Williams is mm-hmm. you know. Uh, money mm-hmm. back in those days um uh, uh simon Pegg and nick frost that's a good one um uh, uh especially with the uh, uh cornetto trilogy and all of that so uh yeah really good stuff there sam Raimi and bruce campbell mm-hmm. definitely good um yep um all right well uh that's a show i think i think we did a show show. i think we did some sort of show there um thank you once again uh patreon uh people out there watching us uh uh we appreciate you coming out and uh and commenting as we as we discuss uh jeremy's bad takes on harvey keitel um Um, next week is going to be the limey Steven Soderbergh's, uh, Soderbergh's, uh, 1999 film. Can't wait to talk about that. Hope you guys like the lives of others. Um, but, uh, that'll do it for this week. We'll see you guys. Thanks everybody. See ya. Bye. Bye.
a part of the live show by being a member of the Sin Club at Patreon at patreon.com slash cinemasins. Chat with us on the CinemaSins Discord at discord.gg slash cinemasins or CinemaSins Twitter at cinemasins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinemasins.com. That's R-E-C-O-T-O-P-I-A at cinemasins.com. Sup, dude. What's going on? Sup with the whack PlayStation. Sup. Mm-hmm. That's from friends. Are you watching um, Better Call Saul? No, uh, no. I'm I'm sort of just waiting until the episodes are done, and then I can I can run through it instead of going week to week. Only one more week then. Um, because uh, and I did that with the last half season that came out. Uh, waited until it was done. Uh, um. You know, obviously, I have to, I have to avoid spoilers. So anytime you have something like Kim Wexler or something like that trending on Twitter, you just avoid it. Um, yes, but, uh, but yeah, um, I will eventually see it. Still not sure. Still not sure that I don't want to be this guy. I saw I saw a review today of the show, and this won't have spoilers. But the reviewer said. I think this show is better than Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. I, I realize that might be controversial. And I'm like, are you kidding? That's all anybody who watches the show ever says, mm-hmm. is that it's better than Breaking Bad. Yeah, and I, I'm not trying to... Com- <coughs> I love Better Call... I'm trying to compare them. I love, I love Better Call Saul, but uh, it's not Breaking Bad. Um, no. And, <clears throat> and I don't think the show benefits as much as people think from having all the Breaking Bad characters show up here and there. Mm-hmm. I think it... It only proves that Better Call Saul is dependent on Breaking Bad. <laughs> no kidding. It couldn't exist. If they if they released this show and Breaking Bad had never existed, um, yeah. there's a lot, at least of cameos, that you'd be like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Why did they? What? They got Brian Cranston for? <laughs> yeah. yeah. One scene? I don't need to see, see what's in Darth Vader's balls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. I'm going to make that a small recommend. Mm-hmm. Phone is ringing. This will be a great outtake. Scam likely. He calls me every day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, the whole likely family is terrible. <laughs> Does your phone tell you when an incoming call is likely to be a scam? Yeah. It <clears throat> says, uh, it says, well, what does it say? It doesn't say scam likely. It just says, uh, oh, it might, it might say, oh, yeah, it just says spam risk. Ah, okay. It doesn't say scam. It's probably, it's probably the same thing being identified by both Google and iPhone. They're just calling it a different, they just name their alert something different. I mean, it doesn't <clears throat> matter for me anyway, because if I don't recognize the number, I don't answer it, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there was a period of time there where I was getting plagued with these, you know, like, Citibank says your account is up is upheld or like or or being suspended or something like that, and I'm like, are you got? I mean, I know that this probably works. Th- I mean, this is the point, right? It works one out of like a hundred thousand people. It works, and that's all they need. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. My boss at the web design company, and the company was split in two parts. They did web design, and then they also did um, like business computer server setups and stuff like that, mm-hmm. maintenance. Um, and 
my boss had this little speech. I, I, I can't do it any justice, but uh, he would break down the math about why people still send spam emails. Mm-hmm. And like if you get point zero 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 one percent of the people respond, then if you are you know extrapolate that over this, and then he would end up at like this huge dollar amount that would always blow your mind. Yeah. Well, and think about <clears throat> it. You're not spending any money to do that either. Right. You know, it's all automated. So. <sighs> Yeah, it's just it, there. Yeah, you know, there's no overhead in that scam. There's a new scam I was reading about <clears throat> where they text you and it seems like just a wrong number, and then when you say wrong number back, they keep trying to engage you in. Oh well, then who did I text? Uh, is this Steve that or what happened, have you? And if you that happened go um, long enough, they try and scam you. That happened with uh, a phone that I had. This was before texting. Uh, phone that i had at my parents house that was my own line and everything like that and uh somebody would call somebody called now i was naive i didn't have any idea what was going on so i they they called and they said this is a job opportunity for somebody or whatever and i called them back saying you got the wrong number and then they called me back saying well how about you then or whatever and so i was like what the fuck is all this but eventually um i mean i didn't do anything and do anything stupid like sign up uh, with anything but i was like what is this thing and then finally my older brother just called them up and said stop stop calling <laughs> and and that was it so nice mm-hmm. nice maybe he went to the maybe he went to the warehouse and yelled at philip seymour Hall. yeah i think that's what it was shut shut <clears throat> shut shut the fuck up <laughs> <laughs> man i think i mean i hope that philip seymour hoffman goes down as one of the best actors ever i think he i, don't I think, think he's got bad performance pretty much people think of him that way i agree but he's still not like a household name mm-hmm. um like my mom probably doesn't know his name yeah um <clears throat> But if you're a film buff, then yeah, I think he's already up there. Um, but yeah, what was on the other day that he was in? Oh, Mission Impossible Three. Mm-hmm. Which, as as a whole, I can take or leave. It's very alias ish. Mm-hmm. But um, his performance is incredible. It really it's like is. They, it's like he thought he was in an Oscar nominated movie mm-hmm. or something. You threw me off a plane. <laughs> you threw me out of a plane. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a girlfriend, wife? I don't know. Whoever it is, I'm gonna find her. I'm not hurt her. <laughs> yeah. So menacing without even mm-hmm. trying to be menacing. That's why I loved uh, so much that that was him and Tom Cruise. Cause I got to do that outtake with Tom Cruise being the asshole in Magnolia to him. Um, <laughs> where he's like, I, I will drop kick that. that fucking dog. <laughs> <laughs> if he comes anywhere near me. And then my favorite's owning Mahoney, uh, just because he's there's something about that performance that just kills me. Um, he's uh, have you ever seen Owning Mahoney? Um, yeah, fuck, there's one that I've no, I don't think so. Um, well, you know, spe- maybe speaking of Philip Seymour Hoffman performances that you should see, it would be that the. He plays a he plays a Canadian banker guy who flies out to Atlantic City and he he rolls craps uh, on on the bank's money. The bank's he's trying he's trying to cover up for gambling debts and uh, um, hmm. he's such a he's such a well regarded uh, person at that bank that he can pretty much 
people will just believe whatever he says. So like there's a moment where someone's like, I can't find this file for this guy. Uh, uh, this, uh, and it's, it's basically money missing. And he goes, Oh, don't worry about it. That guy sold bonds today. He came in or whatever. And it's like, Oh, okay. And everybody's just like, ah, whatever. So he takes that money and he goes down to Atlantic city and he's throwing craps. And of course he's, he gets on huge heaters where he's like, uh, driving up his, you know, driving up the amount that he's collecting, but he also loses a lot. And, um, and, uh, John Hurt plays the casino, uh, manager guy who's who doesn't want to know anything about Mahoney he just wants him here because he's he unloads all that money into his casino and and everything um and uh um he's uh Philip Seymour Hoffman is uh dating Minnie Driver and Minnie Driver wants to get married and and he's he's trying to work I think he's trying to work his way to do that he's trying he keeps always trying to get out of debt is his problem and um and uh yeah so like there's there's that relationship going on he he does a really good i think really good canadian accent it's not like over the top but you can tell it's there you know like i'm sorry i'm sorry Uh, (laughs) sorry sorry 